I have enjoyed working with three presidents achieving historic investments in clean energy with President George Bush, transformative health care reform with President Barack Obama, and forging, and forging the future from infrastructure to health care to climate action with President Joe Biden. So she's enjoyed working with three presidents? Three. Seems like she's leaving someone out. I can't. I can't remember. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Must have been someone I got else. The feeling right. Well, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. I guess he didn't matter. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. and a whole bunch of other affiliates around the country, too numerous to mention, given that we've got such a huge show to try to get to today. Welcome to it. We are the broadcast, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com thank you very much for joining us and joining us as well momentarily allison gill sometimes known as a g but better known worldwide as muller she wrote on the Twitters, she will be here on the broadcast for the first time, Desi Doyne, Yay. to help us uh, sort of begin to move beyond the 2022 midterm elections. We're not fully there yet with a U.S. Senate runoff coming up in Georgia on December 6th. There's still a number of races being worked out and tallied. But as we begin to move past the midterms, it is time to sort of refocus once again on all of the criminal and civil accountability. And there is a lot of it still facing our disgraced former president in the coming weeks. And that's it. That's the uh, fourth president that, <laughs> that Nancy Pelosi did not mention that she enjoyed working with. She, she must have forgot. That was all. Anyway, we will try to begin the sort of reset where we were, uh, where we sort of left off on that score before being overtaken in the past month or two by our midterms, uh, our coverage here on the show, with a status update, if you will, on as many of the pending Trump-related civil and criminal cases that are, yes, very much still underway and bearing down on him, whether we've been talking about them or not or whether they have been paused somewhat during the run-up to the election, and as uh, Trump somehow imagines that declaring his candidacy for 2024 is somehow going to protect him from that accountability, it will not. Now, I, I know you'll be stunned to hear that during his really long and boring 2024 announcement on Tuesday that Trump was simply lying when he falsely claimed that the media had officially declared the GOP had won back the House majority. Well, they hadn't. Not on Tuesday. That was a lie. Not unlike so many others that he told during his remarks, by the way, many on climate, about which we may have a comment or two a little bit later today. On, Just a few. On Desi's Green News report. Mm-hmm. But on Wednesday night, the day after Trump's announcement, while well, the media did officially project that the GOP would, in fact, regain the House majority 
starting next year, if barely, beginning in January, as Republicans secured the 218 seats needed for that majority. They may end up with 220 or 221, even when all the counting is settled, a pickup of about eight or nine seats, that opposed to the 30 or 50 or even 100 seat pickup that Republicans had been long promising. But no matter the size of their majority, it does mean that two-time Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the first woman to ever hold that position in U.S. history and to serve as second in line to the presidency at the same time, well, she will no longer be House Speaker after the first of the year. She announced on Thursday afternoon in a 30-minute floor speech that she will remain in Congress next year but will not seek a leadership position in her party's caucus, ending what many regard as one of the most effective speakerships and leaderships in U.S. House history. Here's a minute or two from her comments on the floor of the U.S. House announcing her decision. Democracy must be forever defended from forces that wish it harm. Last week, the American people spoke, and their voices were raised in defense of liberty, of the rule of law, and of democracy itself. With these elections, the people stood in the breach and repelled the assault on democracy. They resoundedly rejected violence and insurrection, and in doing so, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Scripture teaches us that for everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. My friends, no matter what title you all, my colleagues, have bestowed upon me, speaker, leader, whip, there is no greater official honor for me than to stand on this floor and to speak for the people of San Francisco. This I will continue to do as a member of the House, speaking for the people of San Francisco, serving the great state of California, and defending our Constitution. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. And I'm grateful that so many are ready and willing to shoulder this awesome responsibility. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing that she will not run for a leadership position in the next Congress. And I should note that uh, when she you heard the applause after she quoted from the uh, national anthem there, the proof through the night that our flag was still there. The uh, Republicans did not applaud. No, they did not. For that part for some reason. Nonetheless, uh, noted, love her or hate her, Nancy Pelosi kept her caucus in line and was remarkably successful in maintaining party discipline to get legislation passed, providing what is likely to be a very stark contrast with whatever may now happen under narrow GOP control of the chamber beginning next year as led by a new House Speaker, presumably, but by no means certainly, that would be California Congressman Kevin McCarthy. Uh, he won a split divisive vote among his own Republican House caucus on Wednesday to 
be the next speaker of the House, but whether he can receive the 218 votes that will be required to make that official during a full House vote in January, well, that remains to be seen. McCarthy received just 188 votes from Republicans in their conference vote on Tuesday as the even harder right Arizona congressman, MAGA Trumper and election liar Andy Biggs challenged McCarthy for the top leadership spot. And, well, Biggs won 31 votes in the GOP caucus election. So whether McCarthy can actually get to 218, a majority in the full House, to become speaker and, and, you know, what sort of deals and promises and giveaways he may have to offer to the hardest right elements of his own party caucus to get it. Well, that remains to be seen. Much drama ahead, I suspect, on that score uh, in uh, in and before January. I would say much drama ahead on every score. There you go. Uh, now, before I get to my guest today. Uh, One more noteworthy media projection from the 2022 election that came in after airtime following our previous broadcast in the Los Angeles mayor's race. Progressive Democratic Congresswoman Karen Bass will apparently become the next mayor of the nation's second largest city, defeating billionaire real estate developer uh, Rick Caruso, who outspent her more than 10 to 1 in that race. So money doesn't always win, apparently. Rick Caruso, uh, though nominally a Democrat, had uh, switched his party. He used to be a Republican. Of course he did. Became a Democrat just before running for uh, L.A. mayor. It didn't work. Anyway, there's still a lot of vote left to tally in that race, but AP and others have called it for Bass as she leads Caruso uh, with about 75% of the vote counted right now by more than six points, a victory that was by no means guaranteed out here in Los Angeles. With that, a quick break, and we return to the many, many cases of Trump accountability coming for him at both the state and the federal level that we are, I do believe, getting closer and closer to. We will see if my guest agrees, however. Mueller, she wrote, Dr. Allison Gill joins us next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via brandblog.com slash donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. It hasn't won. Not yet. Not at least when it comes to perhaps the most corrupt criminal scofflaw to perhaps ever hold public office in this nation, much less the presidency of the United States. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. 
In the 60 days prior to an election, according to longstanding U.S. Department of Justice guidelines, prosecutors are supposed to avoid overt public actions in criminal or civil cases that might somehow affect those elections. Now, they don't always follow those guidelines. Some of us, of course, are old enough to remember the 2016 election and then FBI Director Jim Comey's fairly outrageous public statements about an investigation into then-presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's emails, which never resulted in any indictment. That, even as the FBI and DOJ at the very same time kept mum about another ongoing investigation that was going on right then into Republican candidate Donald Trump and his campaign's potential ties to Russia and other foreign agents during the run-up to that election. But in theory, in those 60 days prior to Election Day, the DOJ is supposed to keep a very low profile so as not to affect elections one way or the other. To that end, over the past couple of months, the DOJ and its Attorney General Merrick Garland have gone a bit quieter than usual, at least publicly, even if all work on the many criminal probes into the many criminal investigations of the disgraced, corrupt, twice-impeached former president and now, once again, presidential candidate, did not actually by any means stop. But while investigative and grand jury and court filings and even ongoing trials may continue, they are generally kept off the public radar when possible. And anything like new indictments that might be regarded correctly or otherwise as overtly political in nature are generally avoided during that 60-day sort of pause period before an election. Now, that's just one of the reasons we haven't had a ton of noteworthy news on this show lately in the many cases and investigations that Trump and his band of criminal conspirators and henchmen have been involved in over recent weeks. But with the midterm election day on November 8 now largely behind us, we've begun to hear from those restive Trump opponents demanding to know once again when and if A.G. Garland and the DOJ were going to bring some action, some indictments against the former president. Now, at the end of yesterday's program, we mentioned one such email from a listener demanding to know, quote, where's the goddamn indictment? Now's the time, he wrote, yesterday or today? Well, as I noted in response to that uh, to that listener, now is not actually the time yet in that arguably we're still in the 60 days before a major election with the U.S. Senate runoff scheduled for December 6 in Georgia. After mentioning that to another frustrated listener yesterday, she responded, OK, then I'll wait till December 7. But that is it. Well, she may be disappointed as well. An indictment certainly could be brought by then. Uh, nothing in the DOJ guidelines, if they choose to continue to follow them, would prevent it. But as most experienced attorneys and court watchers will explain, there is likely more work to do before indictments can be brought in many of the cases that Trump is currently facing. The last thing you want to do is indict a former president and then not you know, have crossed all your P's and Q's and risk an acquittal. And there are a lot of such cases, and many of them are quite sprawling, which, of course, is just one reason, no doubt, that Trump was so eager to declare his candidacy 
for 2024 as soon as possible, ignoring pretty much all of the Republican Party advisors begging and pleading him to wait at least until after the December 6th runoff in Georgia between incumbent Democrat U.S. Senator uh, Raphael Warnock and GOP delusionist Herschel Walker. But given the amount of potential legal trouble that Trump is most likely facing in the weeks and months ahead, well, now does seem sort of a good moment after weeks of election coverage here to sort of reset and re-remind and sort of get a status update on all of the many cases that Trump is now facing at both the state and federal level, whether he is a 2024 candidate or not, as we eventually move out of election season. To that end, well, I thought we might touch base with someone who f- follows all of Trump's criminal and civil trials on a daily basis, as, as close as anyone in this country, this side of our friend Marcy Wheeler of Empty Wheel, though, to be fair, Marcy isn't actually in this country anymore since she moved to Ireland. So, you know, anyway, I am delighted to be joined today for a re-reminder roundup of Trump's long and arguably growing rap sheet by Dr. Allison Gill, a Navy veteran, former health system specialist at the VA, where she was let go during the Trump administration for some reason. After she became perhaps best known for her notorious coverage of the Robert Mueller special counsel investigation under the Twitter handle Mueller, she wrote, in addition to a podcast that she hosts by that same name, she's also host of the Daily Beans and the Cleanup on Aisle 45 podcast. And yes, she is also president of MSW Media Network, a network of independent podcasters dedicated to news, justice, and politics, and we are delighted to have her join us for the very first time, incredibly enough, on today's broadcast. Allison Gill, welcome to it. Delighted to finally have you on the program. Well, thank you, Brad. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, before we step through as many of the known cases underway that we have time for against your good friend Donald Trump... Um, To be clear, what effect, if any, does his announcement that he's running again for president in 2024 actually have on any of these investigations? Uh, It has absolutely zero effect on any of these investigations, criminal or civil. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was a question asked directly to the Attorney General Merrick Garland, to which he said it has no impact on on whether, you know, our, our prosecutions or our investigations. Now, should we assume, as I mentioned, that the DOJ's uh, guidelines barring public actions in in uh, probes, criminal probes and so forth, 60 days before an election, should we assume that's still in effect through at least the Georgia runoff? Is that a safe assumption or are there signs to the contrary? Uh, That would be an assumption I would make uh, because I know one of Merrick Garland's top priorities was to return norms Mm -hmm. and policy and ethics to the Department of Justice, along with independence. Uh, that's a very big deal uh, uh-huh. for him and in his um, quest to, you know, to be either the best and or worst <laughs> uh, um, attorney general in, you know, could be in history. Right. Uh, but he has a big, giant task in front of him. And I do think that he is a rule follower, and I, I, but not to the point where, you remember how Mueller wouldn't indict Donald because of an Office of Legal Counsel memo? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Merrick Garland has said mm-hmm. in court filings, not him personally, but the Department of Justice, his Department of Justice has said in court filings that the 
total immunity Office of Legal Counsel memo that maybe Mark Meadows thinks applies to him does not apply. So while he's a rule follower, he doesn't follow incorrect rules. But I do think that he will wait until the midterms are over, and I do not think they will consider them over until the Georgia runoff is called. Now, uh, before we get, you know, I wanted to talk to you about the, all of the various known cases, and I started putting them together today, and I'm like, man, this is long. I'm going to need a three- or four-hour show today. And then I realized, wait, there may be one more. Uh, it should be noted, since his announcement about running in 2024 sort of big-footed the news, Trump failed to show up for his deposition before the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee investigating January 6th and his many attempts to steal the 2020 uh, presidential election. So that testimony was scheduled for November 14. That's the day before he announced his uh, plans to run again. And he was a no-show for that testimony. Now, one of the last guys who did that, Steve Bannon, was subsequently referred criminally to the DOJ. He was charged with contempt of Congress. He was sentenced to two months in prison for failing to respond to a lawful congressional subpoena um, he, he's currently out pending appeal in that case. But what do we know as far as whether the January 6th committee will issue a similar referral to the DOJ and if DOJ would then be inclined to bring contempt charges like they did against Bannon, given that Garland has said, you know, he'll follow the facts wherever they lead. No man is above the law, et cetera. Well, I, I personally don't think that they will. And the reason is, is because he filed a lawsuit against the January 6th committee prior to the end of that day and prior to him uh, being in, you know, full violation or noncompliance of that subpoena. And Tr- that lawsuit... Trump, Trump filed a, a lawsuit against the committee. Correct. Okay. Uh, did I misspeak? I'm sorry. No, 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 you didn't. You said he, and I wanted to make sure it wasn't uh, Merrick oh. Garland who uh, filed it. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, it was definitely Donald Trump. He did file a lawsuit. Uh, saying that he shouldn't have to because he's got this absolute immunity. Mm-hmm. And this lawsuit would have to be uh, resolved uh, prior to there being, uh, I think, you, I don't think you could say that he was in contempt until that is settled. And I don't mm. think it will be settled before Congress changes hands or, mm. to, you know, changes to the new Congress uh, in the next session. So but, I think just a run-out-the-clock type of a thing. But uh, if... The committee sends the criminal referral to the DOJ before they are dissolved. That criminal referral still exists at the Department of Justice, no? Even if the committee has gone away? Yes, it would. Uh, if, if you're talking about a criminal referral for contempt, right. I think the committee would need to have a resolution in the courts before they could make a criminal referral for contempt. I don't think you can make it in anticipation uh, of it, but I, I actually, I, I don't know that. I'll mm. have to ask some lawyer friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I just don't see, I just don't see them taking that step until a court orders him to appear and he refuses or, okay. or, you know, mm-hmm. skirts that. Gotcha. All right. So before uh, even that happened, by my count, there are at least. Uh, I think six different uh, criminal and civil cases underway in one form or another against Trump and or his business and or his uh, children, including several in New York under both the uh, state attorney general and the Manhattan district attorney. There's another before a special grand jury in Georgia led by the Fulton County district attorney in Atlanta. There's at least two federal grand jury criminal probes 
uh, being led by the uh, DOJ. So I want to sort of step through them as much as we can to sort of get a status update on where things stand as we move forward. I want to start in the states here. Uh, New York, uh, New York state. Apparently there is no such pause period uh, around elections in New York. There is a criminal trial for tax fraud against the Trump organization. It's been underway over the past several weeks, uh, brought by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. This week, that trial has been going on. It uh, featured testimony from the chief financial officer of the Trump organization, longtime employee Alan Weisselberg. He has been testifying. He pleaded guilty to something like seven counts, 17 counts. I can remember in exchange in exchange for five months in prison. So long as he testified truthfully at the trial against the company. So have we learned anything to date from Weisselberg's testimony that you have heard of that we did not know previously in this case? Um, nothing that we couldn't have already guessed. Uh, but I think the big story coming out is that, you know, Weisselberg, uh, he did he did testify, as did McConney, that Donald himself knew of these tax schemes, the tax mm. schemes being, hey, I'll give you an apartment, I'll pay your kids' tuition, I'll give you a nice car, we'll deduct that from your salary so that I don't have to pay payroll taxes on that money. Uh, and so that is a long, ongoing scheme for for many, many years, mm. and that uh, the McConney, uh, McConney, when he testified, said that Donald was aware of it. Weisselberg confirmed that. Uh, and so what the question I have now is, will Alvin, uh, will Alvin Bragg bring mm-hmm. a charge against Donald himself right. in part of that scheme, the way that they brought charges against Weisselberg? Mm-hmm. Well, we still need to wait and see, although, as you said, Manhattan DA has said, we're still investigating, even though our top two prosecutors resigned out of protest for mm-hmm. uh, allegedly me not wanting to bring an indictment. But we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think, you know, maybe maybe Alvin Bragg was waiting to see what happened in the Trump Organization criminal trial before he decided whether or not he was going to bring charges against Donald himself. But that is, I think, the biggest development to come out of that testimony. So, I mean, because he's basically, Bragg said basically, uh, I'm not closing the case, but we're not going to bring charges right now unless something new shows up. And you're suggesting that maybe the uh, trial testimony that, yes, Donald Trump knew about everything that Weisselberg himself is now going to prison for, that that could change uh, the way Alvin Bragg sees this. He could bring, potentially could bring uh, criminal charges against Trump as he did against Weisselberg. That would be my hope. <laughs> right. Okay. And, <laughs> and, and for a, a company, otherwise, I mean, his company is on trial. Um, you know, for any other company, a trial like this would certainly be a big deal, a criminal trial. And yet this one seems to be getting very little attention. Why, why do you think that is, Allison Gill? Any sense? Um, my guess is that it's because of one of... I think, like, at least half a dozen, uh, as you said, other criminal investigations, you know, I think front and center right now is the the, the documents case, the, mm-hmm. the national security documents case. Did he take nuclear secrets home? What did he do with them? Uh, and, you know, we're, we've got the 11th Circuit appeal going through to try to overturn the appointment of a special master so that the Department of Justice can get those documents back from the special master because they can't really indict Donald until they have all their documentary evidence. And they don't have it right now because 
Donald, as we know, sued uh, and went judge shopping for Judge Cannon right. to get a special master appointed. But I think the 11th Circuit will overturn that ruling. The hearing for that oral argument is November 22nd. So no. anyone who was hoping for a quiet Thanksgiving week, it's not going to happen. <laughs> okay. Well, and by the way, uh, Allison, you sort of uh, make the point in that you're getting ahead of me by going to that case, but it kind of makes the point that all of these cases sort of one bigfoots another one. That, you know, we can't wait to get on to this other uh, criminal case. Before we get to that and the January 6th case, I wanted to get a sort of a sense of a status update uh, on the New York civil fraud case, which is a really big deal. Again, though, no one will go to prison, as in the uh, New York criminal case against the company. This is still a very big deal. Uh, New York State uh, AG Tish James brought this massive $250 million bank tax and insurance fraud lawsuit against Trump, his company, his three eldest kids, Don Jr., Eric, and Ivanka. Uh, do you have any sense of what the status is in that matter, uh, and again, in which no one will go to prison, but where the company itself could be broken up and, and lose its charter to do business entirely, at least in New York? Yeah, and I think in some instances that's even a bigger deal than perhaps a criminal indictment for Donald, uh, because he would lose his ability to do real estate, do business in New York. His mm-hmm. kids would lose their ability to do that. He would have to pay huge fines. Uh, and I think that, you know, where we are with that right now is, you know, New York Attorney General Tess James said, hey, while I'm filing this lawsuit, he's still criming. He's still committing fraud. He created right. <laughs> an entity called the Trump Organization too, yes. and started moving assets into it, mm-hmm. and, and, and apparently and allegedly to hide them mm-hmm. from her civil suit, from her target, from her civil suit. And so she filed uh, in, in, uh, an injunction, a motion for injunction, and to put a financial monitor in charge, or to, to not in charge, but to monitor mm-hmm. what's going on at the organization. And you know who they picked. It's really, it's a, it's a funny thing. Retired Judge Barbara Jones, she was the special master in the mm. Southern District of New York Rudy Giuliani investigation uh-huh. and the Michael Cohen investigation, where she had to go through to determine anything if anything was attorney-client privilege. So she has been put in charge as a monitor, and she has to report back in a few weeks uh, any fraud, waste, abuse, anything that she sees that's untoward that's going on in the company. Uh-huh. And so that, and then you add to the fact that Donald sued the New York Attorney General with just a very frivolous lawsuit, much like the lawsuit he brought against Hillary Clinton. Right. Uh, and who, by the way, filed a motion for sanctions against him for that lawsuit and right. has, is, is winning. Right. And, and funnily enough, this, and this kind of, this makes me smile on the inside. Uh, the the judge he tried to get he tried to shop this New York Attorney General yep. lawsuit to Eileen Cannon, and he ended up with Middlebrooks, the guy, the judge who accused him of uh-huh. judge shopping for Cannon in the Hillary lawsuit. So the same judge who just sanctioned him for filing the frivolous <laughs> Hillary Clay's case has now been and and theoretically it's random uh, you know who these uh, get who who are which judges are assigned he gets the same judge who just smacked him down for the other case to look at whether this case against Tish James is also sanctionable yeah and his sanctions ruling on the Hillary case yeah. was aving it was it was not pretty oh, so man. i, I 
I expect, I said, you know, I was like, hey, Tish James, you probably want to file some sanctions motions down there. Yeah. I think you'll get them. Sad. All right. Uh, (laughs) Moving down now to... Oh, man, Fulton County, Georgia. Now, this is the case that actually I have. I personally always been most interested in, uh, you know, at, well, at least until we learned that he had stolen thousands of pages of documents from the White House. But it seems in Georgia, simple, straightforward, easy to prosecute. The Fulton County, Georgia uh, District Attorney, Fonnie Willis, uh, is bringing a, an apparent conspiracy case against Trump and a bunch of his henchmen, potentially Rudy Giuliani, Lindsey Graham, Mark Meadows, Michael Flynn, they're all involved for their attempt to try to encourage election officials in the state to steal the 2020 election for Trump, as we heard in his infamous call with the uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger there, trying asking him to find just enough votes to flip the state from Biden to Trump back in 2020. In that case, um, While going somewhat quiet before Election Day, the special grand jury has actually been busy already this week, taking testimony from Georgia Republican Georgia Governor Brian Kemp and uh, Mark Meadows, former aide Cassidy Hutchinson, who was a star in the January 6 hearings. Does that tell us anything about how far along that case might be toward a potential indictment at this point, Allison? Yeah, I think she's getting ready to... I mean, there's only a, a handful of witnesses left, right? Like, because she was waiting until after the Georgia election for Kemp, and so mm-hmm. she got Kemp and his testimony. Uh, she is now floating the idea of some limited-use immunity for the actual Georgia fraudulent electors to compel their testimony, which means she's trying to get information about bigger fish. Mm-hmm. And we know that a judge had recently ordered Mark Meadows to testify in the case, saying you don't have absolute immunity. You don't have, you know, immune executive privilege or anything like that. And uh, he has appealed, but I, I don't think that's long for the courts. I think it's good. I think it's going to go pretty quickly. Uh, and he will be compelled to testify. And she has long said she planned on being done close to the end of the year. And then once she's done, she can take all of the investigatory information from the special grand jury back to a regular grand jury because special special grand juries can't issue indictments. Mm. And then she'll take it back to a regular grand jury and she'll ask them to, you know, for indictments uh, in this case. And so I've always sort of, I've kind of been with you. I've thought that this one might go faster than any of the other criminal investigations that he's involved in. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see. We'll see who's going to be first out of the gate to indict him. We, we might get, like, you know, I know we haven't talked about the documents case yet, but that could come before yeah. Fulton County DA. So we'll, we'll find out. I think we'll find out very soon, within the next five months outside five five months you say outside Uh and Uh because that case did get a lot bigger once it became clear that she was prosecuting this not just on you know donald trump's attempt to uh, encourage uh, officials to change the results but once it became clear that this was a criminal conspiracy that she was looking in and that changes the you know the potential charges from one year to 20 years for a conspiracy in prison uh, for a conspiracy down there in georgia uh, let's jump, in fact, to those uh, stolen uh, documents case at Mar-a-Lago. This, uh, so, is a special master 
A special master was ordered uh, because Donald Trump sued to get an independent special master to review the documents that were seized at Mar-a-Lago, thousands of them that he stole from the White House when he left office. But the 11th Circuit Court has overturned a lot of the decisions regarding that special master. Uh, is he still there? Is he still doing work uh, after being appointed by uh, the corrupt Trump-appointed lower federal court uh, judge you mentioned several times, Eileen Cannon? If so, what is there for the special master to do at this point? Uh, is is there any question that there are attorney-client or executive privilege documents actually there at this point? Yeah, well, see, we have sort of three things going on. First of all, the DOJ filed with the 11th Circuit to stay Judge Cannon's order with regards to the classified documents. They mm-hmm. said, look, this is of utmost national security. We need to have the, the ODNI be able to do their risk assessment. We can't be handing over classified documents to a special master. Right. Party. We're not going to hand them over uh, to Donald Trump or his attorneys. So they, w- they went through there. They won in the 11th Circuit. The 11th Circuit determined that, that Cannon did not have jurisdiction to, to, to do that. And so then the, the special master uh, was appointed, and he comes in, and the DOJ and the Trump, or the Trump uh, lawyers are mm-hmm. making competing filings, trying to decide to convince Judge Deary what is privileged, what isn't, what's a personal record, what's not. Uh, And so that's going on. And then meanwhile, they filed a very broad appeal to the 11th Circuit about all the documents Judge Deary is arguing with, you know, or, you know, uh, I guess deciding about, Mm -hmm. you know, the arguments between Trump and the Department of Justice. And if the 11th Circuit comes back and says, like they did with the classified documents, that Judge Cannon doesn't have jurisdiction for the unclassified documents either, Mm -hmm. which it seems apparent will be the ruling, Mm. then the, the whole... Judge Deary, special master, is moot, and all those documents would go back to the Department of Justice, and they need those documents to be able to issue an indictment if that's what they decide to do. So I, there's a kind of a race going on between the special master and when will he be done with his review, and the 11th Circuit, and when they will you know, rule, if they rule that he is moot, and we do, you can't have a special master, Judge Cannon's order, didn't, she didn't have jurisdiction to make it. Uh, I think that we might get the 11th Circuit decision before Judge Deary reviews these documents and sends them back to the DOJ. But either way, they'll all go. I'm, I'm very, very certain. I'm, I'm, I'm like 100% certain uh, that all these documents will get back to the DOJ at some point. 100% certain. Okay. We'll mark that down. She's 100%. Now, if if that happens, uh, you suggest this case could actually bring, uh, we, we could see indictments in this case, even before the Fulton County, Georgia case. Uh, how... Uh, I think uh, Marcy Wheeler noted the very earliest that DOJ could indict this case would be early to mid-December. Is that the sort of timeline that, that uh, you're seeing as well as a possibility here? Yeah, I, I agree with that timeline. And it, it also depends on, I mean, there's a lot we don't know. We don't know if they have witnesses from other properties who are testifying about documents potentially being there. We don't know. Now, I mean, they've been investigating the classified materials and the missing classified materials, Mm -hmm. but we don't know if, you know, they might have uncovered like a, you know, 16 different threads that they have to go down to Mm -hmm. see if they can find if he shared them with anybody or if anybody else saw them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be a much more sprawling investigation than we know. But I I do agree with Marcy. Uh, I always agree with Marcy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
font of knowledge. She knows so much. Yeah. Uh, that, that, yeah, mid to early December would be uh, the earliest. And I've been thinking end of the calendar year, maybe January. Now, uh, then there's the huge sprawling case, and, and since we're running up against the clock here, we probably can't get into details on this, but that's okay, because I think it's going to go on for a while. The huge sprawling January 6th insurrection, uh, you know, grand jury uh, probe, whatever it is at this point, it is the biggest, most complicated, I believe, uh, compared to all of these cases, uh, grand jury has been probing it for months. Do we have any sense at this point of where that in- investigation really is, at least as it regards Trump himself? Well, we know that there's been a, a, a flurry of privilege issues going on that the DOJ has continually won at a, at a rate of 100%, and they ended up being able to get the testimony of Greg Jacob and Mark Short and the two Pats, Pat Philbin and Pat Cipollone, uh, they were able to, um, give, you know, secure those tests because they didn't want to testify until the court told them that there was no executive privilege. And that's those guys. Those guys are just quickly uh, Pence's, uh, Mike Pence's uh, attorney and chief of staff, and the White House lawyer and so uh, a counsel and so forth. Okay, and Continue. deputy, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, and they brought in this guy named Wyndham, who, who is uh, incredibly good at this. And, he, and you know, I, I call this investigation the fraudulent elector scheme, the Pence pressure scheme, right? Mm. The, the obstructing an official proceeding, the one that Judge Carter said more, more likely than not, Trump and Eastman, mm-hmm. uh, you know, defrauded the United States in a conspiracy and also obstructed an official proceeding. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that is, you know, they issued like 40 or 50 subpoenas right before that 60-day election window. Yes. Hit. Uh, and I think they've been working very vigorously on that. And I've, I've been thinking, if it follows the Watergate timeline, we could start seeing indictments probably in April. Mm. And they also have to keep in mind that if they're going to indict folks and they want those trials to be done before the 2024 election, that that's probably the time frame they'll have to aim at, aim for. Which is not easy. I mean, because this case, I would say, is far more sprawling, uh, certainly, than, than Watergate, it seems to me. So, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, and one of the things, uh, since we mentioned our, our friend uh, Marcy Wheeler of Empty Wheel, she's been one of the loudest voices, really, in response to those who have been charging for the last year or two. Oh, Merrick Garland, he's not doing enough. He's not working fast enough. Should have brought indictments months ago. Uh, you know, she's been making the case that these are that that is just not how these things work, that prosecutions like these, like all of these, take time. I presume then you are in her camp uh, as opposed to the frustrated with Garland uh, for not moving fast enough camp at this point. Yes, I am. I am in I am in the Marcy Wheeler camp. <laughs> and like, you know, I've been saying it for a while uh-huh. that if, if we just look at the Watergate timeline. Yeah. We won't see indictments until April 2023. That would be the Watergate timeline. And like you said, this is far more complex. And because we have telephone and email and text messages and WhatsApp and Signal, it, mm-hmm. it, there's so much more you have to investigate, uh, and you have to go through all of it. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how the timing plays out, or whether maybe Garland says, "Hey, you know what, Bonnie Willis, you take the fraudulent elector stuff. Mm. I'll take the document stuff." Mm. Um, because, you know, we also know that if Fonnie Willis indicts Donald, he can't be pardoned if, you know, he right. becomes, he can't pardon himself if he becomes president, or a, a Republican who becomes president cannot pardon him either. It would have to be Georgia. And Kemp isn't the, the pardoning authority, authority in Georgia. They have oh. a pardon board. Oh, right. 
So yeah. he, if he goes to uh, prison or jail in Georgia, is well, I was going to say no way out, but much harder way out uh, in, in a state case like that. Very interesting. I know I got to get you out, uh, Allison. Two quick questions here. Given all of this, you know, and apologies to whoever made this point on Twitter last night. I failed to jot it down and give proper credit. But, you know, they argued that the fact uh, that Donald Trump can even declare his candidacy in 2024 after all of these years and all that we know that he has done, that that itself is an indictment of the failure of the U.S. media itself. I somewhat tend to agree, but I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts in response to that notion. Yeah, no, I agree, too. Uh, I mean, we saw incredible failures in the media, especially in the run-up to the midterms, um, you know, with their predictions about a giant red mm-hmm. wave, and uh, you know, which none of it happened. The mm-hmm. polling was incorrect. The, you know, everybody got it wrong. Well, not everybody. There were people who got it right. Uh, and I see the same thing uh, with that, too, to actually give credence to anything that he does uh, is a mistake. Uh, it's, he's laughable, he's unserious, and he's a criminal. Um, and, you know, the, Brad, there's a couple of other things, too. Don't forget, his Save America PAC is under federal criminal yeah, right. investigation. Right. His, uh, his Truth Social, uh, DWAC and SPAC are under mm-hmm. FINRA, SEC, and federal criminal investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's facing a lot, a lot of legal problems. We've got the E. Jean Carroll case, the Mary Trump case, yep. uh, the Hillary sanctions, the Michigan sanctions. He's he's in a lot of trouble from a lot of different things. We're just going to have to see who drops the hammer first. And finally, when it comes to criminal indictments, because I think that uh, you know, his critics will not rest until they see him in jail. And I don't know if that will ever happen because I don't even know how you put a, uh, f- a former president in jail when they're supposed to be guarded by the Secret Service 24-7. But that's a that's a separate matter. Uh, getting towards that indictment is is the first, uh, you know, issue. Are you optimistic uh, or not, that Trump will eventually be indicted in one or more of these cases, whether he's found guilty, whether he goes to jail or not. Do you feel there will be an indictment? And if so, uh, which one or ones, Allison? Yeah, and, and for me, justice in this case would be an indictment because we can't control what the jury does. We can't control what the judge does. You know, mm-hmm. the Department of Justice, all they can do is bring an indictment. Mm-hmm. And I think that they will. I think that they definitely will in the documents case. They might in the fraudulent elector scheme, unless they do a deal with Georgia that she will do it. Uh, and uh, I, but yes, I, I'm very, very certain that he will be indicted in, at the very least in the documents case. They brought in David Raskin all the way in from Kansas City, Missouri, uprooted his life. He's a prosecutor, a trial prosecutor for classified documents cases, what he does. I don't think they would have brought him in if they weren't considering that, nor do I think Merrick Garland would have signed off on a search warrant for a former president if he weren't prepared to also indict him. Well, that's uh, happy news to head into the holiday with. Uh, Dr. (laughs) Allison Gill, thank you uh, very much. She is uh, better known on the Twitters as Muller She Wrote, where you can follow, you can and should follow her work as long as Twitter is uh, still available. You can also listen to all of her many podcasts, including uh, The Daily Beans and Clean Up on Aisle 45 and Muller She Wrote at MullerSheWrote.com. And her personal Twitter, if you want to uh, see how she's doing with her uh, closing her rings on her iPhone, you could check her out. She is Allison Gill. 
Uh, Allison, really great speaking with you. Hope you won't mind if we bother you again in the not-too-distant future. No, would love it, and you're welcome on the beans anytime, Brad. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, man, Jesus, that's a long list. <laughs> I'm so glad you threw in that stuff at the end about all of those other uh, you know, lawsuits and so forth. I know, there's facing. just so much. I mean, it's like the sheer volume of it. It's like a uh, Trump crime probe Russian nesting doll. <laughs> it is, it is. It's just all interlocking. And, and, yeah, there's one after another. I was just sort of focusing on the ones being brought by the, the states and the, uh, the feds that we know about. But she mentions <laughs> all of those other investigations, all yeah. of those lawsuits from, you know, people alleging that he raped them and so forth. Man, going to need a longer show next time, I guess, (laughs) for Allison. All right, quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yeah. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Have a, uh, a bit of a program announcement coming up uh, after our GNR here. I'm trying to, Do we have any other bit? I, w- I was so thrown off by how much we tried to fit in <laughs> to that uh, last segment. Yeah. And how much we actually didn't fit in. But I guess that's what the coming weeks and months and maybe years are for. Oh, boy. Uh, anyway, yeah, sorry. Uh, anyway, let's get to it. Announcement afterwards, after our latest Green News report. For the first time ever since the adoption of the United Nations Climate Convention, parties agreed to introduce the loss and damage funding as an agenda item. Crunch time for an agreement at the United Nations Climate Summit in Egypt. NASA projects sea levels will rise a foot by 2050. Plus, we are now seeing that out-and-out denial is making an absolute comeback. Climate disinformation is surging, deceiving the public about solutions. All of that deception and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and, speaking of deception, snarky comment. The socialist disaster known as the Green New Deal, which is destroying our country, will be immediately terminated. If anyone could pretend to terminate a pretend non-existent climate policy, it would be Donald Trump. This is your Green News Report. I'm just sorry he didn't tell us that story about uh, the windmills and not being able to watch TV at (laughs) night or whatever the hell that is. Yeah, disgraced former President Donald Trump Mm -hmm. repeated his well-worn torrent of lies and disinformation (laughs) about the accelerating climate crisis and the booming U.S. clean energy sector in announcing this week that he has launched a third run for the U.S. presidency in 2024. And America didn't go wild. 
Moving on, October 2022 ranked as the fourth hottest October ever recorded since record-keeping began in the mid-1800s, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. They project that 2022 will clock in as one of the top 10 warmest years on record, despite a strong La Nina in the Pacific Ocean, which typically exerts a cooling influence on the global climate. But Donald Trump said it wasn't going to warm for 300 years. Yeah, he's wrong. They say the ocean will rise one-eighth of an inch over the next 200 to 300 years. A new paper from NASA this week confirms previous studies projecting that sea levels will rise on average by at least a foot by 2050 along the U.S. Gulf and East Coasts thanks to man-made global warming. Again, that is a foot within 30 years, exposing billions of dollars worth of coastal infrastructure and development to higher storm surge and high tide nuisance flooding. Gosh, I hope it doesn't hurt Mar-a-Lago. In Egypt, it's crunch time in the final days of the U.N. Climate Summit, COP27, where the formal two-year process is now underway to reach a global deal for rich countries who are primarily responsible for causing the climate crisis to compensate poorer nations for loss and damage from mounting climate impacts. In an interview with Democracy Now!, youth climate leader Vanessa Nakate of Uganda warned that poor nations are already reaching the limits of their capacity to adapt to repeated extreme weather disasters. We need this money to be able to go to communities that need it and for this money to go in form of small accessible grants. The current and historic emitters They need to take responsibility for the climate crisis, and they need to pay for this crisis. Also, the U.S. backed a proposal for the COP27 closing statement to call for a phase-down of all fossil fuels. And the G7, the group of seven major economies, launched an insurance initiative to provide fast financial aid for nations hit by extreme weather disasters. At the last COP, COP26, didn't they almost come out with a statement calling for the phase-out of fossil fuels? Yes, they did. So this time they might actually do it? Maybe. We'll see. A renewed blitz of climate disinformation coming largely from right-wing media is jeopardizing progress at COP27 by undermining public perception of climate risks and solutions and advocating delay. That's according to a new report by the Climate Action Against Disinformation Coalition. Their analysis found that Americans who watch Fox News are most likely to hold false beliefs about climate change and clean energy. They don't know about about the global scientific consensus on man-made climate change, or that renewable energy is now cheaper and more reliable than fossil fuels. Well, I hear it's not going to be a problem for another 300 years. The Green New Deal and the environment, which they say may affect us, in 300 years. A second report exposed that fossil fuel companies are spending millions to run hundreds of advertisements a day in English-speaking countries that mislead the public about viable climate solutions. But some good news. Nigeria has become the first country in Africa to enact regulations to cut methane emissions from its oil and gas sector. Here in the U.S., Washington State has mandated next-generation electric heat pumps in all new residential construction. And finally, France passed a law mandating that all large parking lots must be covered by solar panel canopies within five years, which is projected to generate electricity to power more than 8 million homes. Very cool. That's something you have been calling for for years. Oh, yes. 
For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I got a bucket, got a bucket for the sunshine. I got a love and I know that it's all mine. Oh. Imagine all of the parking lots out here in Los Angeles. If we put oh solar panels goodness. over those, how much energy we could... Yeah, and you know, yep. Cal- uh, America, especially California, but America in general is yep. hugely car dependent. And if you think of all of the factory roofs and all of the huge parking lots that we could cover with solar panels, we could uh, how many millions of homes we could power just through the sun that way without pollution. That would be also shaded in the summertime when I it's so know. goddamn hot it's on those parking nuts. lots. Yeah, it is nuts that places like Arizona do not have that. No kidding. Anyway, listen. Uh, uh, as I said, announcement, not a big deal, but I got chided earlier in the week. A caller uh, was <laughs> mad at me that I, I didn't announce in advance that we were going to be off a couple of weeks ago. So we're going to be off uh, for a long-scheduled uh, doctor's appointment uh, on our next Bradcast. We will be back for one day thereafter before standing down for the Thanksgiving holiday. I, holiday, I just don't want anyone to get worried. That caller who scolded me for not <laughs> explaining in advance, we're fine, all is well, and I just don't want to get in trouble again. <laughs> so anyway, my thanks to our producer today, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Dr. Allison Gill of Muller, she wrote, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated, always an honor. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other we have ever done, going back to the beginning of time, to the dawn of man. You can download them for free at bradblog.com where there is no paywall. And if it's up to me, there will never be. But that is only due to those of you folks who stop by bradblog.com slash donate or just hit one of the donate buttons if you come to Bradblog to help us stay on your public airwaves. We are 100% listener supported, which is why we get to say anything we damn well please. Unless the FCC feels otherwise. But so far, so good. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. I will see you there at all of the above. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. The sun is on my side. America's political, corporate, and media establishments were cocksure about their prognostications that a powerful red wave was about to hit America in this month's elections. It would sweep Democrats out and push Republicans into office all across America, they exclaimed. How shocking and embarrassing, then, that their raging wave turned out to be just a little ripple. Republicans ran poorly, and many Democrats ran well. Still, the Democratic Party as a whole should have done better if its don't-rock-the-boat leadership had been gutsier, more progressive, and, yes, more democratic. Well, murmur the party's Washington hierarchy, we can't get too far ahead of the people. Really? Why not ask the people themselves? That's the virtue of the ballot initiative system. It allows grassroots groups to put issues up for a vote rather than letting the public agenda be controlled by a clique of lobbyists, legislators, and party-line followers. 
This year, there were 132 of these initiatives on the ballots in 37 states and more on local ballots. And vote after vote showed that the people are way ahead of the political insiders in support of strong progressive policies. By big margins, three states said to hell with a Republican Supreme Court enshrining women's abortion rights in their state constitutions. South Dakota, supposedly a right-wing bastion, shoved their GOP governor and legislators aside to expand Medicaid health coverage to the state's low-income families. In bright red Nebraska, nearly 60% of voters said yes to a $15 minimum wage. A big majority in Illinois amended the state constitution to guarantee collective bargaining rights for workers. 70% of New Mexico voters made funding of early childhood education a constitutional requirement. This is Jim Hightower saying, for more information, go to Ballotpedia.org. The Hightower Radio Lowdown is made possible by you lowdowners who subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Hightower Lowdown. You know who you are. Thank you.